so I'm going to jump straight in. If you could open your Bibles with me to Exodus chapter 17, verse 8 to 13. Exodus chapter 17, verses 8 to 13. The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of a hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron and Hur went to the top of a hill. And as long as Moses held his hands, held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held up his, his hands up, one on one side and one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. I often find in life... When God makes a promise, that it doesn't normally just happen straight away. That there's this whole bunch of time that happens in between, this whole bunch of stuff that happens, and then there's a breakthrough, then the promise happens, then the calling happens, then the declaration that he's placed on your life happens. You know, I've found that I am a person that is all about the destination, I'm not really particularly interested in the journey. I'm not interested in how I get there. I want to find the quickest and possible way to get to the destination, to get to the finished product, to get to um, completion, to, to having something fully done and finished. I'm all about that. But something that God's been speaking to me in the last few months is that so much of what happens on the way so much that happens in the journey, so much that happens in that in-between season, in the meantime, it's in those moments that, the thing, that we find the things that define us, the things that grow us, the things that, that challenge us and build us up and prepare us for the next season. And the title of my message this morning is Patience, Persistence and Faith, What to Do in the Meantime. Because it's in that season, it's so important that we do that season well before we step into the blessing and the calling and the declaration that God's made over our lives. It's so important that we do that season well. You know, when I was 10 years old, just before my family stepped into ministry and moved to Russia, my youth pastor at the time um, had a prophecy over my life. He said, Luke, God's just shown me a vision of your future that you're going to serve young people, that you're going to minister to young people, that you're going to be a youth pastor. And luckily enough for myself, I was smart enough at 10 years old to know that that wasn't going to happen the next day, that it, there was going to be some time. And so it was one of those prophecies that I put at the back of my mind and I didn't really pay attention to it. And as I got close to my 18th birthday, it sort of came back to me. I don't know whether someone had said something or something along those lines. And I started thinking about it. And I turned 18 and it didn't happen. 
I turned 19 and it didn't happen. I turned 20 and moved back to Australia and it didn't happen. I turned 21 and I did an internship here at church and it still didn't happen. I turned 22 and it still didn't happen. And I did a diploma and it still didn't happen. And then a week after my 23rd birthday, almost exactly today, a week after my 23rd birthday, I stepped in and took on the role of leading the youth and young adults ministry here at church. Now, there was a 13-year gap there, 13 years that I waited, that that promise hung in the air. And if anybody, like, I often think to myself that I am a living proof that God has a sense of humor, because if you ask anybody that knows me, they will tell you that my biggest flaw is my lack of patience. If you ask anybody that knows me really, really well, they'll tell you that it's my severe lack of patience. I hate waiting. I hate it. Anything to do with airports or Centrelink are my nightmares. I I remember being on the phone to Centrelink one day, and I was on the phone for five hours just listening to music. And it drove me sad. I hate waiting. I I just hate it. I get angry. I get agitated. I can't sit still. Airports, I get in airports and I just, oh, I just, I have to walk around the airport and find something to do, find something to distract me because I can't stand waiting. But funnily enough, all of the guys in the Bible that are my favorite Bible heroes, the guys that I go, I want to be like those guys, they were experts in waiting. Two guys in Exodus called Joshua and Caleb Moses picked them and 10 other guys to go into the promised land and scout it out. And um, Joshua and Caleb come out of the promised land and they go, oh, it's awesome. It's a land flowing. It's exactly what God promised us. This land flowing with milk and honey. There's so much good stuff there. It's amazing. But the 10 other guys come out and they go, oh, man, we can't go in there. There's giants. There's walled cities. There's armies. We can't take it. We're not big enough. We're not strong enough. And eventually, the whole of Israel decided not to go in, that, that it was too big, it was too much, they, had, they didn't have the faith. But Joshua and Caleb did, and God promised them that they would be the only two of that generation to go into the promised land. The only two, but they would have to wait 40 years, 40 years before they would step into that promised land. Another one of my favorite Bible heroes is David, King David. And David, when David was a teenager, the king over Israel was King Saul. And Saul had let God down over and over again. And God decides, hey, I'm going to set up a new king. I'm going to anoint a new king. So he sends his prophet Samuel. And Samuel goes and he anoints David and says, David, you're going to be king over Israel. Now, I did some research into this and I looked into it. So don't take this to the bank, but from the research that I did, David waited between 30 and 35 years before he stepped, sat on the throne that God had promised him. 30 to 35 years. Now, 30 and 40 years makes my 13 years look like small change, and it makes Moses' day standing on top of that hill look even more insignificant, but... I can tell you from personal experience that waiting, doesn't matter how long, it might be five hours, it might be a whole day, it might be 40 years, waiting is hard. 
It's so hard. Imagine Moses standing up on that hill with his arms up in the air, probably not making any sense at all why he's up there. And like, what is going on? Why am I waiting? Like, can't I go down and help out the army? Can't I go back into camp? Like, I'm standing in the sun in the middle of a desert with his arms up in the air. And it doesn't make sense. But I love this verse in Psalms 27, verse 14. It says, wait for the Lord. Be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord. You know, so often in life, I find that patience is also an act of trust, an exercise in trust. You know, I went through a six-month period at the end of 2016 where I had no income, and it made no sense whatsoever. I could not understand why this was happening to me. I had a job that they just weren't bringing me into work. I had a, um, and I had Centrelink that just, out of, out of nowhere, just stopped. And it made no sense to me. I could not understand why God was doing this to me. And for that six-month period, I've shared this story before, but for that six-month period, the only words that God would say to me were out of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And those words read, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to Him and He will make your path straight. You know, that period made no sense to me, but through that whole period, anybody who preached almost used that verse. Anytime that I opened my Bible, it was on that verse. Anytime I prayed, I heard Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord. The whole time, for six months, I could throw my Bible up in the air, it would land, and it would be on that page. It was, it was terrible. But you see, sometimes when I started to understand that, I realized that sometimes in life, in that period of waiting, in the meantime, when it seems hard, sometimes the only place that you can draw strength, the only place that you can take heart, is in trusting in God that He's going to come through and take you out of that season. That God isn't going to leave you. When Moses was standing on that hill with his arms up in the air, waiting from dawn to dusk, waiting from sunup till sundown, the only thing that got him through would have been trusting in God, knowing that God was going to give him a victory, even though he couldn't see it, even though he couldn't understand it. But he, it didn't make sense that he was standing on that hill. But God was going to give him a victory because he trusted in him. He waited. He did that exercise of trust so well. I have three statements for you this morning that I want to challenge you with. Three statements that... that I want, if, you're, if you're taking notes, I want you to write them down. Three statements I'm going to challenge you with. And the first statement this morning is, if it's not worth waiting for, it's not worth having. If it's not worth waiting for, it's not worth having. Is the promise, is the declaration, is the blessing, is the calling, is the purpose that God has on your life, is it worth waiting for? Is it worth waiting for? Is it worth going, God, I'm going to be patient and wait for your perfect timing? Because I can guarantee you that when God's getting you to do something weird that doesn't make any sense, that it's because he's leading into something that he's going to bring out in his perfect timing. In his perfect timing. My second point this morning is persistence. 
persistence. You know, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells a parable of the talents. And it's this story about a landowner who is going away on a trip and he calls three of his servants to him. And to the first servant, he gives five talents. To the second servant, he gives two talents. And to the last servant, he gives one talent. And then he goes away. And during the time that he's away, the first servant with the five talents, he takes those talents and he invests them. He um, trades with them. And by the time his master returns, he's doubled what his master gave him. The second does much the same thing. He takes his two talents. He works with them. He trades them. And by the time his master returns, he has four. He's doubled what his master gave him. The last servant with the one talent, thinking that his master was a hard, unforgiving man, takes that one talent and buries it and sits on it and waits. When the master returns, the first servant comes to him and goes, Master, here's the ten talents, that, here's the five talents that you gave me, but I, I used them and I traded with them and I'm giving you back ten, double what you gave me. And the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. The second one, much the same, comes to the master, brings the two And then the other two, double what his master gave him. And the master again goes, well done, good and faithful servant. The last servant comes out with the one talent that he'd buried. And he goes, master, here is the one talent. I didn't do anything with it because I didn't want to lose it because I know you're a hard man. And the master calls him an evil servant. And he takes that one talent and he gives it to the one that had ten. You know, when... We're in, a, in the in-between season. It's not just good enough to sit back and twiddle our thumbs. We might be in a season of waiting, but it's not good enough to just sit there. God's calling us to be committed to, what, to the season that he's put us in. He's called us to, to everything, that the season that he's put us in, he's called us to use that to the best of our ability. Like those first two servants, they were sitting in the same season. Nothing changed in their circumstances, but they did it to the best of their ability. Whatever, they gave, whatever their master gave him, he took it and used it. And it's the same with us. When God puts us in a season, he wants us to do that season well. When Joshua and Caleb were in that season, when God told them that they had to wait 40 years before they could go into that beautiful promised land that he'd just given them, it would have been devastating. It would have been heartbreaking. Go, I have to wait 40 years. I'm going to be an old man before I get to go into that land. But they didn't sit back in the lounge chairs and go, God promised us that's it, I'm done. I'm going to chill back 40 years. We'll get through this. Maybe get a tan. We're in the desert. Might as well. No. They took action. They raised up the army of Israel. They raised up the next generation to be a faith-filled, God-fearing people that were going to go and take the promised land. They raised up a generation of Israelites that were going to be able to take down giants, take down walled cities, and defeat any army that came up against them. They weren't content to sit back, but they were going to use the season that God had placed them in to build up the next generation. When David was in his season of waiting, he defeated giants, he served his king, he served under the king because he knew it wasn't his season and he was going to serve in that season well. He led the army, often 
times people singing, Saul killed his thousands and David his tens of thousands. When the king tried to kill David, David went and lived in the bush. God had promised him palaces and here's David living in the wilderness because he knew that God had put him in that season and he was going to do it well. He had opportunities to take Saul out, two opportunities. And each time he went, no, God is going to bring me into that season when he's ready. I'm going to do this season well. When Moses was on that hill, he didn't just stand on the hill. He had his arms up. You know, I don't know about you, but I can't even hold my arms up all the way through a five-minute worship song. Imagine standing there all day with your arms up, holding a stick up. You know, he, was, he knew what God had called him to do. It would have been so tempting to go down there, take the staff of God and go whack some Amalekites. It would have been so easy. Just, it would have been so tempting. But no, God had called him to stand on the hill. In Hebrews 12, 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, that last line is so key. Let us run the race that is set before us. Not the race that's set before them, not the race that's set before those guys over there, not the race that's set before the people next to you, the race that is set before us. I'm, God, I'm meant to run in my lane. There's a whole bunch of people around me, but I'm meant to run in my lane. I'm meant to be committed to the cause that God has set before me, the lane that God has set me in, the season that God has set me in. That's the lane that I'm meant to be running in. That's the place that I'm meant to be serving in. And if I start looking at the people around me, going, getting FOMO and going, worried that I'm missing out on something or worried that they're doing better than me or anything like that, I'm not going to be focused on the lane that God set before me. I'm not going to be doing the season that I'm in really well. And it was the same with Moses. It would have been so easy to go down there. But he knew that God had called him to that season and he was going to do what God had called him to do really well. And it's the same for us when we're in that in-between season, that in the meantime, we have to do that season really well. My second statement for you this morning, second statement is, if it's not worth striving for, it's not worth having. If it's not worth striving for, it's not worth having. Is it? The, is the promise that God has placed over your life, is it worth being persistent in? Is it worth being committed to? Is it worth running in that lane in that season and doing it to the best of our abilities? If it's not worth striving for, it's not worth having. My third point this morning, and this is the most important one, is faith. It's faith. You know, faith is the driving force behind our patience and our persistence. Faith is the driving force behind our faith and behind, behind our patience and our persistence. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, it says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance of what we do not see. When Joshua and Caleb were in that season of waiting... It was their faith that was the driving force behind it. 
The faith that got them through waiting for 40 years. The faith that gave them the persistence to build up that next generation. Because they believed what God, the promise that God had given them. They believed in that promise. They were certain. They were hoping. They were certain for what they hoped for. They were confident in what they hoped for and assured of what they didn't see. It would have been hard to see that promised land in the distance of 40 years. But they were confident and assured that that's what was going to happen. When David was living out in the bush, when David was slaying giants, when David was going through that season of waiting to go, come onto the throne of Israel, it was his faith that got him through every single one of those struggles, every single one of those challenges. It was his faith. You know, David is often referred to as a man after God's own heart. Not because he slayed giants, not because he waited for 30 years, but because his faith. He believed what God said, and he believed that God had a calling and a purpose on his life, and he went at it with everything he had. That's what made him a man after God's own heart. You know, it was faith that got Moses to stand up on that hill with his arms up. Faith that God was going to give him a victory. Faith that God had already promised him that Israel was going into the promised land. It was faith. He believed it and it got him through. You know, in Mark chapter 5, there's a story about a lady with, the bleeding, with an issue of the blood. And she suffered with this issue for 12 years. And she'd seen physicians, she'd seen doctors, she'd, she'd suffered with this thing, and it, only, it never got better, it only got worse. And then one day, she hears that Jesus is walking through their town. And she decides that she's going to go out and see this Jesus. And when she sees him healing people, she decides, if I can just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. If I can just touch the hem of his robe, I'll be healed. So she pushes through the crowd and she gets close to Jesus, just close enough to touch the hem of his garment, just the corner, just the very tip, and she touches it and instantly she's healed. And Jesus feels the power go out of him, so he turns around and he goes, who just touched me? And the lady sort of puts her hand up and Jesus goes to her daughter it's by your faith that you've been healed. Go and be free of your affliction. By faith, she was healed. You know, something I've found in my own life, the, the thing that will kill faith the quickest is if I get entitled. Because if I get entitled, all of a sudden I start going, hey God, why am I going through this? I don't deserve this. I'm better than this. I've done all this good stuff. I deserve so much more. I don't deserve to have no money or be sick or, or whatever. If that, if that lady had gotten entitled and go, no, Jesus can come to me. I'm not going down there. I don't deserve this. I've been a good person. I've paid my tithes. I've, I've, I've served God. I've gone to the church every Sunday. God can come and heal me. As soon as I get entitled, I stop believing what God's going to do and start thinking that I'm good enough, that it comes from me. You know, I went through a period a few years back, it was a, a couple of months, where I got really entitled. 
was really, I had a really horrible attitude. And it probably didn't come out very much and it probably didn't show, but I got really in touch. I'm like, God, why aren't you giving me the promise that you said? And I think sometimes the devil gets in our ear and he says, hey, you're better than this. Why isn't God showing up? And you start thinking and you go, oh yeah, I am better than this. I don't deserve this. And I remember just being so entitled about my situation. I, I, I can honestly say that in that period, I lost all faith because I had faith in myself. I thought, I've been good enough. I deserve this. And I remember one day, I, I was watching a podcast or I was reading a book. I can't remember what it was. I can't remember, but I just remember the words so clearly that said, the only thing that we deserve is going to hell. Anything beyond that is bonus. Anything beyond that is bonus. You know, in Romans 6.23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You know, we've been singing the song, Relentless Love, and the words in that, I didn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. I didn't earn it, and I don't deserve it. Because it's true. I never earned God's love. I never earned or deserved God's love. I will happily admit that I am a sinner. Not happily, but it's true. I've let God down. I've, you know, if we take even the Ten Commandments, I've probably broken eight of them, nine of them. I haven't murdered anybody. That's about it. I can definitely go, yep, I haven't done that one. The rest, oh, it's a bit shaky. I don't deserve God's love, but I got it. And if I can plant my faith, if I can plant my hope, if I can plant my joy in that moment where Jesus turned to me and said, Son, I love you. You're free from your sins. Because I came down and stood before him and I said, Jesus, I need you in my life. If I can plant my hope and my joy and my faith in that moment, I can get through anything. I can face any trial, any, any struggle, any period of waiting because I know that God said he loved me when I didn't deserve it. When I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. And it's the same for every single one of us. We don't deserve it, but we get it. And if we can plant our faith and our joy and our hope in that moment, we can believe anything. You know, it doesn't take much. Jesus said, faith as small as a mustard seed will move mountains. Imagine how much, how much more our faith could do if it was the size of a coconut. How much more our faith could do if it was the size of a beach ball? How much more our faith could do if it was the size of a Mini Cooper? How much more our faith could do if it was the size of a truck? How much more our faith could do if it was the size of a house? It's unimaginable. If faith the size of a mustard seed can move mountains, what could more faith do? You know, I, that lady that came to Jesus, she just had to touch the hem of his garments. Just the hem. It doesn't take much. A little bit goes a long way. My third statement for you this morning, if the band wants to come back, my third statement to you, if it's not worth believing in, it's not worth having. If it's not worth believing in, it's not worth having. 
is the promise, is the declaration, is the purpose, is the calling, is the blessing that God has declared over your life, is it worth believing in? Is it worth believing in that he's going to come through? Is it worth faith the size of a mustard seed? Now that I've challenged you, I want to finish up by encouraging you. You know, this Friday night at youth, we had a really great night. And we're worshipping together and we're, we're singing and we're singing a song. It's an old song that the, the words go, your love never fails, never gives up and it never runs out on me. And as we're singing those words and the kids were singing and we were singing and it was really awesome. I just felt God say, I want you to pray over some young people. So we finished singing and I got up and I said, hey, if there's anybody that needs prayer, just come forward. And a whole bunch of kids came forward and needed prayer and we prayed over them as a team and as a youth ministry and we're all huddled together. But one guy in particular, he was standing right next to me and I remember I was praying for him and I had my arm on his shoulder and I was praying for him. And as I finished prayer, there was a moment of silence and then he just let out this beautiful, heartfelt prayer to God. And I remember thinking about that moment I was going home and I was working on my sermon and I thought, that's it. That moment for me made it worth every year of waiting, every moment of waiting, every struggle and trial that I went through for God to raise me up because God had called me into that position. And when you step into the blessing and the calling and the purpose that God has placed on your life, something amazing happens. Like it was such a blessing for me to be a part of that moment. I didn't really do anything, but God did something. I got to be a part of what God was doing there. And it was amazing. It was a blessing. So I want to encourage you with that, that when you step into that season, it's worth every moment that you wait. It's worth every struggle and trial and whatever you go through to get there. And it's worth believing in. It's worth every faith-filled prayer that you put towards that. So I want to leave you with those questions. Is it worth waiting for? Is it worth striving for? And is it worth believing in? Let's pray. God, I thank you that you are a God that keeps your word. That your promises never fail. That your love is new every morning. God, I thank you that you are a God that is going to do amazing things. I thank you for the promise that there is going to be breakthrough in this house, that it's coming, God. And I pray right now that we would be known as a people who can wait for that, God. We'd be known as a people that will strive for that, God. And more than ever, we'll be known as a people that believe in that, God. That our house will be known for a people that are faith-filled, believing in you, that you are going to come through. God, I thank you for your love. I thank you that you pour your blessing on us. God, I just pray right now as we, I don't know where everybody's at, but if you're going through that season, that in-between season, that in the meantime, God, that, that you would walk that journey, that we would feel your hand on us, so that we know that you are walking that journey, that we're waiting on your perfect timing, that we're, we're going through that season and the struggles and the trials because you're going to build us up and we're believing that you're going to do something amazing at the end of it all, God. I thank you for this in your heavenly name. Amen. Amen.